If you enjoy this episode of Obscure Obsessions, please remember to rate us, review us, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. And now, Mini Obsessions. Could be interesting. Yeah, where... uh... We Are Heroes, I believe. Was the, We Are Heroes? Oh, yeah, that's Remember right. Remember that, that one that, that's um, sort of a sequel to Sharp Boy Sharp and Lava Girl? Sharp Boy and Lava Girl sequel, yeah. Uh, you said that you had an impression ready to... Okay. This is what happens when I stay up way too late. <laughs> Here is Jim Carrey as the Grinch as Poison Ivy. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Actually, I totally freeze before I pulled a plug. <laughs> this is a one-woman show. <laughs> Pretty good. Or, or, or here's another Elvis Gunn. I totally totally freeze when I pulled off the plug. This is a woman show. I thought uh, I, I <laughs> that's the Elvis Dumbledore go- uh, golf clubs. I like Wolfric that. Percival Ryan. Did you see that news today? Who's that? That they're doing that they're going to that they're very close oh. to greenlighting a Harry Potter seven season HBO show starring newcomers. Sure. That's that guy, that David um, Yates. Sle- no, no, David Salslav, who's the new head of Warner. Oh, oh, oh. I was disturbed also when we were watching um, Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think there was a lot of trailers though, unless they. Were- I didn't really count, but I, I would guess somewhere in the range of five to eight. My initial reaction to the animation on that. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was negative. And then I thought, is that maybe more in style with how they originally looked? I think it's also trying to emulate Spider-Verse. Oh, you're right. I think you're right. Because it had that sort of unique style. And I thought, oh, maybe they're being creative. But no, you're right. They're just copying. Uh... I mean, fine. Power to you. But, you know. That's that's one franchise I have to sort of give a little bit of time to. I just never was into. I never really watched I the really comics. I really only kind of was a passive viewer. Yeah, I know. I watched the one with Marnie's mom. Yeah. Uh, Judith, Judith Hogue. Hogue. I hope today you're recommending a Judith Hogue vehicle. Don't believe that Judith Hogue is in the movie. That is I'm it an about. Eddie Deason vehicle? It is not, unfortunately. Well, you have to go first because is this the one you were... I wanted to talk about the last time we were going to recommend something. And then I just ran out of time to refresh my memory. Mm. And so yesterday I did. Okay. And I rewatched the movie that I'm going to recommend. And I'm so glad I did because I have some major, major thoughts about okay. it. Okay. Now, one thing I don't know if we've talked about too much on the show is one of the subgenres I absolutely love and can't get enough of are disaster movies. Oh, okay, yes. We were had a big kick of disaster movies about yeah, two years ago. I absolutely. Think, I and I feel like there are two heydays in which disaster movies really reign supreme. Mm-hmm. There's the late 60s, early 70s era with the Poseidon Adventure, Towering Inferno, the Hindenburg, the airplane movies, uh, or airport. Airport. Excuse me. excuse me. Don't call me Shirley. The tower, the tower! <laughs> My favorite part, though, is still the part where he's... I forget what he's saying, but it cuts to the old woman. She's hung herself or, or she stabbed herself. I forget exactly what it is. I haven't watched that in a long time. That, uh, uh, airplane. Yeah. There's that period. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, for me, the one I might favor a little bit more, yeah. just in a guilty pleasure kind of way, is the period of the 90s okay. in which... There were constantly different ecological disaster movies, and you had, I mean, I can name a hundred. There's Dante's Peak, Deep Impact. Deep, um, uh, no, uh, oh gosh, yeah, I'm trying to think what the other one is. Well, Daylight, Daylight, technically. Daylight, yes. Um, there was a, a real second renaissance, I feel, because... 
there was just a string of different types of disaster. Do movies. you count Armageddon? Sure, Armageddon. What's the other? There was that other one. Was that Deep Impact? Deep Impact's the one with the meteor. Okay, yeah. But there is one that took me a long time to come around to because I heard the idea and I thought it was so silly. Mm-hmm. I eventually came around to it. And it had been years since I had seen it last. And so yesterday I rewatched it, and I would love for you to check out, if you have not done so, okay. the Tommy Lee Jones epic, Volcano, from 1997. Okay, I love the title. Uh, the title already, is there an exclamation you, point? No, unfortunately there's not. Have you heard so. of this movie before? I, I don't know that I've even heard of it. Okay, I'm going to give you a, just a brief log line. Tommy Lee Jones plays the new director of the Los Angeles Office of, I wrote it down here, the Office of Emergency Management, which apparently is a thing. Okay. That opening title cards, it tells us that in an event of a disaster, the director of the Office of Emergency Management, parentheses OEM, okay. has at his every disposal the right to do whatever and resources really (laughs) apparently this is the case he has full autonomy full autonomy to do whatever he wants and (laughs) it's so silly when you think about it yeah after an earthquake a local park the water starts to bubble and temperatures seem to be swelling a little bit more and sure it's the the dead of summer but something seems off about this Mm -hmm. and then the la brea tar pits start to bubble more and then they start to seem to have real viscous reactions and it's even further bubbling and bubbling. And then a volcano erupts out of the La Brea Tar Pits. Any movie where there's a volcano in the La Brea Tar Pits is an Oscar winner, in my opinion. <laughs> and lava starts spewing everywhere. Buildings are exploding. People are catching on fire. And it is absolute anarchy to the nth degree. What I really, 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 really love about this is it's almost endearing at how incredibly not scientific okay and how i don't think the movie is aware of how not realistic this actually is so kind of like what we talked about in uh superman 3 i think it is a little bit in that regard because apparently there was a volcano that erupted in mexico in the 1940s when this movie kind of took inspiration from where a crop field started to spontaneously catch on fire and within two days a active volcano was shooting out of it okay so supposedly this is kind of inspired by a real event and i'm not sure the actual validity of this okay but what i am sure of is that tommy lee jones plays this newly hired director of the office of emergency management and yet he is constantly forgetting what lava is what magma is <laughs> and every few scenes it's almost like he needs to be reminded what a volcano is I it's like amazing that. because Anne Heche plays the primary seismologist that is working with Tommy Lee Jones to help try and fight the volcano that's currently erupting. Don Cheadle is his right-hand man. So a pre... A pre... What year is this? 1997. So this was before the MCU, but after Don Cheadle was in the Golden Girls spinoff, The Golden Palace. Ah. Where he played Roland, the house manager. And it's really, really dumb at the fact that an, a volcano is erupting out of the La Brea tar pits. An earthquake, I believe. What the rationale they explain is that the whole Earth is on tectonic plates. Yeah, okay. So 
and again, I'm not trying to, to fifth grade <laughs> science class you here. Apparently, when the plates shift, mm-hmm. that's what causes earthquakes. Right. I, I believe that's because correct. Because the core of the earth is underneath. Magma. It's liquid hot magma. We're in a volcano. <laughs> and apparently, when these plates shift, sometimes because the core of the earth is heating up, something can come through these plates and that can then mean that okay. a overflow it's of... reasonable enough if you don't try to pick it apart exactly so now how how are people in terror because to me a volcano is in one spot so what happens is the volcano starts erupting out of the la brea tar pits which also <laughs> happens to be near a park that they keep yes. cutting back to macarthur park yeah I think. yeah i think that's right they also keep showing that there's these New subways and tunnels being built for them to continue building public transit. And wouldn't you know it, it happens to be on the unveiling of a new subway line. Oh. Shucks, right? I mean, actually, I mean the one time they're trying to improve the L.A. Tr- transportation system, a volcano erupts? <laughs> How inconvenient. Brilliant. And so what happens is, then you have people stuck in the subway and liquid hot magma is starting to swell up around the subway car. Okay. What I do love about this is there's plenty of practical effects and plenty of practical sets that go on fire and explosions and lots and lots of, I think, actually fairly intense and graphic burn death injury Mm -hmm. scenes and it's a pg-13 movie so it's not that it's gory or gruesome or anything but it's fairly intense for a pg-13 movie and then it's juxtaposed immediately by the fact that the volcano that's spewing lava looks like a bad screensaver so it's not good uh, special effects there's a real bad blend between when it's practical and cgi because you can tell at a certain point in particular frames that there's actual practical items that are on fire. Mm-hmm. And then they've digitally put in a flowing rush of <laughs> lava that just looks like a crappy screensaver. Is that, it's like in the Jaws when we read about they had the, the bad uh, costume. And then they cut away and it's a real to what it looked like. <laughs> Is this so? Is this on the level of a Dante's Peak, or is I would it, think so. And I also is this like a twin film? Was this around the same time? It was as? around the same time as. I'm not sure what it's in reaction to though, because in a way it's kind of a contained thriller, but they are also constantly moving around the city and having to deal with. Does 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 uh, magma flow or lava flow fast? Not necessarily, but it seems to be spreading through different. And the way they explain that is. Where the volcano is erupting also happens to be where these different tunnels and underpasses are happening. So essentially they block off a section. They control the flow of lava at one place, but there's still all these open tunnels that it can navigate through. But there are two things in particular I want to mention that made me just absolutely gut bust laugh. One is Keith David shows up in the movie, and I love Keith David, but he is introduced maybe... 40 minutes 50 minutes into Mm -hmm. the movie and he is just buddy buddy with tommy lee jones but we've literally never met this character before we don't know what his name is he's wearing a police uniform but he could just be a random officer he could be a lieutenant he they literally don't explain who he is they don't give him a name i just go oh my god that's keith david wasn't keith david also in armageddon i think he might have been it's possible and The second thing that I really, really love about this is the absolutely absurd 
way that they think we're going to actually stop lava. Uh-huh. Tommy Lee Jones mentions at one point, and it tries to tie it back into the fact that he's a good old boy from Missouri. Oh, and no. so he's a, you know, a small town kid in a big city and mm-hmm. things like that. And he tries to explain about how they used to create dams to control water, you know, rushing. Damn dams. Right. And so he first realizes after the volcano starts to explode that there's a bus that is tires are popped and he's like oh wait a second let's flip this over and we're gonna try and start creating a wall uh-huh and the amazing thing is now in case you weren't aware yes lava fairly hot right yes it starts to melt trees buildings everything in sight it perfectly stops when this bus is hit, flipped over and hit on the ground like it is a magic barrier okay and <laughs> I, i'm confused because doesn't usually it doesn't work usually that happen, way. especially because buses have been known to catch fire. We'll have to ask Ms. Labosco, who is the eighth grade <laughs> earth science teacher who taught us about volcanoes. And they eventually decide, okay, wait a second. What if we get those cement barriers that you see on the highway? Mm-hmm. We're going to just make a wall of those. And what happens? But it works perfectly when they make that into a dam. All problems can be solved by walls. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> And I just, I could not believe that they were committing to this where at some points the the liquid magma is so hot it's burning full buildings and melting everything. And then at a point when it's like, all right, well, let's start wrapping this sequence up. Now that's when the, la- the liquid magma can be stopped by a simple wall. And how long is this movie? It's about an hour 40, so okay. it's exactly the perfect amount of yeah, time. Yeah, because otherwise that's just it, too... It also, I will say, doesn't take very long to start going. I think that the actual volcano erupts maybe 30 minutes, maybe even 25 minutes into the movie. Oh, that's good. So it's fairly a quick, easy breeze. It also, it meets a lot of the same sort of criteria that you would expect in terms of both character and plot tropes. Mm -hmm. There's the hard as nails uh, person who doesn't take no orders. You have the kind of misogynist slash racist who's has to learn through the power of this disaster to not be those things. Let me ask you, does Tommy Lee Jones ever at any point ever say, have the good taste to die? I was hoping he would say, let's start this party off with a bang. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I almost please. totally forgot. I'm sorry. There are two major, 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 major product placements okay. that they make as essentially crucial plot points in the movie. So when the a volcano starts erupting, we meet this character who is a doctor and she works at Cedar sinai Hospital. Okay. When Tommy Lee Jones is helping get people up and getting them rescued and sending them to a place to get treated, mm-hmm. he's sending them to Cedar sinai Hospital where she works. Ah. But he keeps saying, it's pretty much every few scenes. He's like, and go check on the people at Cedar sinai Hey, we got to get those people over to Cedar sinai Oh, hey, where's everyone going? Oh, they're at the Cedar sinai Okay. And then turns out that's where the final eruption is going to be. I see. And so they need to evacuate everyone from there, but across the street to the Hard Rock Cafe. Does anyone also have some Doritos or have a Coke? I don't think think so but i do know that they then after they keep saying cedar sinai cedar sinai cedar sinai they're like hard rock hard rock hard rock hard rock calgon eh <laughs> well volcano i'll have to check what, what year did you say this was 1997 i'm gonna check this one out yeah I, I, I love the disaster movies and i think that it's exactly what you can expect from a typical disaster movie so you really shouldn't be surprised by any major 
beats or anything like that, but it still gives you a fun time. And any movie that also stars, I'm seeing uh, one of my favorites uh, from a favorite film of mine called Now and Then. Oh, that's right. She plays her uh, Tommy Lee Jones' daughter. Gabby Hoffman, who was also, and of course, Uncle Buck. Oh, of course, right. Now, I'm almost tempted to recommend Alligator 2, The Mutation, because that also took place. Oh, is that a Los Angeles movie? That was set at, at Echo Park. Okay, gotcha. But I'm not going to, because... Well... Uh, <laughs> although that was the movie I started off... Uh, thinking about? This, this year with. Remember, that was my oh, first right. you, movie yeah. I watched this year. And I have three movies I'm debating. Okay. But this one I'm going to recommend first. Not, I'm only recommending one this episode. Sure, sure, sure. But we'll have to record two more to allow me to sleep at night. Okay, so I'm going to recommend, actually, a monster movie. Okay. Actually, a British monster okay. movie. It's a film called... The Abominable Snowman. When it was released in America, it was cleverly retitled The Abominable Snowman of the Himalayas because American audiences wanted specificity. And the word Himalayas just drove up the, the, the box Which office. Which part of the world do I have to uh, pretend to be scared of? Okay. And this movie was made in the 1950s. So oh. you're, I'm certain everyone in the 1950s heard of the Himalayas. Sure. And this was a movie... That I saw this from 1957. This is a black and white movie. This is black and white. This was made by Hammer Films. It's a Hammer Horror. Oh, okay. Film. Hammer Horror, which was a a company that made a lot of popular uh, horror and science fiction films in the 1950s and 60s. I think they're still around. And one of their big stars, two of them actually. One was Christopher Lee, right? Who later went on to be in a bunch of Tim Burton movies, including. Sleepy Hollow, where he clean as dandelion edge. <laughs> and the other big star was Peter Cushing, ah, who, right. like Christopher Lee, went on to be known to most of our generation for being Star Wars villains. Mm-hmm. Christopher Lee was uh, Count, Count Dooku, Dooku, and Peter Cushing was uh, Governor Tarkin, who would then be very creepily reborn in that uh, Rogue One, where he's... That's that weird, very... That's actually frightening than almost all of the Abominable Snowman. <laughs> but I saw the Abominable Snowman many years ago when I was maybe 12 or 13. And I remember seeing it on either TMC or AMC, one of those. And I remember being home alone and it being dark out. And I remember being very creeped out by this movie. Yeah. And it stuck with me. I couldn't get it for years. They never showed it on TV. And every time I went to buy it, it's a British film, so sometimes it wasn't available in the United States. And that would also mean if you were buying a physical copy of it, it might not play. And in, some in of there. the, yeah, or it would say region free or U.S. import. And those always make me a little nervous. Mm. But about six or seven, eight, nine, ten months ago, somewhere in that somewhere range. Somewhere between six <laughs> and ten months ago, okay. I randomly thought about, oh, I wonder if they've ever released the Abominable Snowman onto any kind of reputable place. I looked... There was Blu-ray, special features, and a reputable American release. So I bought it and I rewatched it. Now, this one also does star Peter Cushing. And here's the skinny on it. Peter Cushing plays a British botanist who, along with his wife, is up in the Himalayas mountains, Himalayan mountains, studying the fauna in a monastery. All right. And who comes along but... A group of adventurers, mm-hmm. led by Forrest Tucker, who was a popular actor at the time, 
And he and these adventurers, are, they're not here to study trees and plants. No. They want to find the Yeti. So they are heading up on the mountain and Peter Cushing decides, oh, these blokes. <laughs> That's my Peter Cushing impression. I like that. He decides to join on the adventure. And so it's about them going higher and higher up the Himalayan mountains uh-huh. in search of the Yeti. And it's just Peter Cushing, not his wife on no, the journey? because she stays at the monastery and it kind of cuts back and forth. Now, this is a very, very good movie in spite of its schlocky title. This is a movie that is a monster movie where you don't see the monster a lot. You do eventually see the monster. I don't like it in monster movies where you never see it. Uh-huh. But this is a lot of suggestion. And it's a great example of horror versus terror. So in this movie, it's psychological a lot. It's the usages of sound. What's that noise? What's that shadow? What created this footprint? What's moving in the distance? I'm hearing a sound. Is this some mountain goat or is it the Yeti? Mm -hmm. And so it's using your senses to fill in the blanks and to play on your, your anxieties by not showing you more than showing you. And there's a great part that's very creepy where you see the Yeti's hand move into the tent. And that's pretty much as much as you see of it initially, but it's enough to give you a sense of what it looks like. It looks like. Because if you think about it, Yeti movies slash Bigfoot movies are pretty terrible. With the exception of this one, the exception of the John Lithgow vehicle, Harry, Harry and, and the Hendersons. Hendersons. And this is a movie that actually, strangely enough, originated as a live television play on the BBC. Okay. And they, of course, had to open it up for the movie. And what's interesting about this is that it kind of plays like, a, as if it were a really great episode of The Brady Bunch. No, the, of The Twilight Zone. Because it's interested in the monsters, but it's also more interested in probing these guys and in the human character. And as they go higher and higher up, there's less oxygen. So they start to get a little batty. And their true intentions and their true selves come out. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes, well, is the Yeti the real monster, this relatively peaceful creature up in these mountains? Or is it these humans with their lust for power and and all that sort of stuff that mm-hmm. that goes into a great episode of the twilight zone and this is a great movie also because it was mostly shot indoors at pinewood on a set but there was also scenes shot on the pyrenees mountains and i can't tell the difference sure. between when they're inside or outside and it was directed by val guest who was a, a prominent was Val Guest the one who directed Cat People or the... No, that was Val Luton oh. who produced. Good, good, though. Val Guest, though, I'm fairly certain, was one of the five or six directors on the original Casino Royale. Oh. I believe he was one of those. Because he was a... Yeah, he was one, one, two, three, four, five. He was number five. Okay. of the directors on that uh, piece of work. And I think that this is a great movie to check out if you're interested in... If you don't like a lot of blood and guts, because there's really none of that, this is a really great example of that. I also think, to go back to your point, there's very few legitimate Bigfoot movies. This is the and... this is the Magnificent Ambersons of Yeti slash Bigfoot movies. Because I'm trying to think what the other ones are. There's one called Shriek of the Mutilator, which 
is a guy in a monkey suit that they put baby powder on <laughs> to look like he's white. I think Bobcat Goldthwait directed oh, yes. one. I want to say it's called Willow Creek, but that might not be yeah, right. I know the one you're talking about. It might be. But I think that's sort of a comedy. And I think that it is all found footage. Now, what would Bobcat Goldthwait say if he saw the Yeti? Oh, I thought if you were going to say if he was directing the Yeti. Oh, yeah, if he's directing the Yeti. All right, so, Mr. Bigfoot, I'm going to need you to stand over there. <laughs> I'm going to put the camera and face you. <laughs> you're right. It's called Willow Creek. I never saw it. Independent found footage horror. I thought it it was maybe a a tongue-in-cheek one. Oh, maybe not. There's also one with General Zod number two, uh, Uh, Michael Shannon, and I can't remember what the hell it's called. Not Mocha Shannon. Why would my, why would my, what's this called? Autocorrect, correct Michael to Mocha Shannon. Michael Shannon, whatever it was, this is a real, actual Bigfoot movie. Now, actually, about you did say though that you had many years of trouble finding an actual copy of this. Yes, now it's easy. So, is it available to stream anywhere, or is it? Oh, solely... the one I'm thinking of is called Pottersville. Is oh, that what I've I'm thinking heard of? of that. I'm almost positive it has something. To... Yeah, the one I'm thinking of is called Pottersville. Though it does, it's a Christmas comedy, huh. starring Michael Shen and Judy Greer and Ron Perlman and Blackbeard slash. John Wick guy himself. Yeah. Wow. So that's right a, that's a discovery. I believe it's probably you could rent it someplace. Because during the Halloween season, you were able to watch a lot of the Hammer Horror ones on Peacock. So Yeah, but this one is so even more obscure than those. Cuz the well, more, it sounds interesting. Cuz the more famous ones well, it's, if, if you want to spend $24 like I did, you could buy it on. <laughs> but perhaps you're not quite as demented. I might just ask to borrow your copy after Yeah, you can done. borrow it. You can borrow it. Or I'll watch it with you because it's great. And this yeah. is gr- it's a great movie to watch if you have a hankering to watch a good Yeti movie. Because sometimes that comes over you. Sometimes you're just sitting around thinking, you know what? God, I wish there was a good Yeti movie I could I watch. I have this itch I can't scratch. And you know what? I better watch an old black and white British horror movie starring Peter Cushing climbing a mountainside. I found the remedy. Mini Obsessions is directed and produced by Taylor and Nick Sicario and is a co-production with Tan Productions. Special thanks to Anchor for podcast distribution and to Twin Musicom and Walpurnia Music for providing the score. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for episode details, previews, and more. And check out our blog at obscureobsessionsblog.blogspot.com for movie recommendations, lists, reviews, and articles. We thank you for your continued support.